so uh, I want to, oh gosh, I don't necessarily know the, the overarching theme that I really t- took away from this other than the untwisting of something that is so like, um, the word enigma comes to my mind. Like that's why I said, uh, Padrino's going to tackle the big C, right? Circumcision. Like, what is this law you're telling me I have to do? Like, I feel like it's one, these are one of, this is one of those laws, um, that, that someone could say, you mean to tell me that we have to obey that? Like, it's one of those, I don't know. It just seems like it's one of those potentially touchy laws, uh, not because it's touchy, but because it's so blatant and so misunderstood and so there's, there's just so much with it. So if anything, it's just the untwisting of something that is like that, that really then represents all of the laws or all of his instructions, right? Because if you can untwist the heart and the understanding of something that is so, um, like, I'm not going to touch that, or I'm not going to try to understand that, or that's old and this is new and I don't have to, and all this, like, if we get into all that, um, if you can, I guess what I mean by that is if you can tackle this instruction, then you'll have the ability or the tools to tackle any and all instructions that may present itself like this. Um, and so I want to, um, I want to, I kind of want to hone in on that. And then the other thing I wanted to hone in on is, should I? So this is a first, you know, I, I always focus on what are the first, what are the patterns that we see that are first and we get introduced to El Shaddai. So I really want to tackle El Shaddai and I want to tackle us being able to have the tools of reading just the be getting in the depth or the mysteries of something as plain as um, one of my commandments is get circumcised. So get circumcised. And if you don't, you're cut off from his people, right? Like if you just blatantly just say that and you're not necessarily looking at the full picture, then we'll miss a lot of, obviously we'll miss what Yahweh is getting at. So let me just make sure that that's kind of what I want to tackle. I want to tackle that and I want to tackle El Shaddai. Anything else? There is a lot with the name changes, but I don't know if I'm going to get into that because honestly, I feel like I need to spend some time. Um, but I mean, there's definitely some pretty, pretty cool things with the name change, uh, for, at first glance, what I saw was both names add a Hey. So aside from the English definitions, right? Uh, Avram is exalted father changes to a fault father of, of a multitude. You have Sarai, that means, um, princess, and then she turns into noble woman. Okay. Well, what, I mean, yes, there is that English wording, but then there's this Hebraic concept of being able to add letters and what does that mean? And um, one of the things I was just starting to press into was Sarai, uh, her actual, the consonants of her name are the same consonants for strife. 
So it has a lot to do with Jacob turning to Israel and how they're connected and stride. Anyways, there's, there's just, there's so much in the name change. I don't think I'm going to tackle that in this box, but it is something that I'm hungry to dive into and hopefully would stir up hunger in you to just really dive into, okay, why, why would he say Avram to Avraham and what, what's happening there? And and what does that mean? Um, aside from, Hey, that's a cool name change, you know, but I mean, so anyways, so anyway, I'm not going to get into that, but that is the one thing I did notice is that they both, they both got a, Hey, and when I think about, Hey, I think about Holy spirit. I think about breath. I think about behold, um, there, there's just so much in that. So, so, um, oh, and then one other really quick thing is, isn't it interesting that in last week's Torah portion, Abraham laughed. And then this week's Torah portion, Sarah laughs. So there's something that he's wanting to unlock in laughter. And I'm always reminded of a scripture that Padrino gave me early on in our marriage, that I am a woman who laughs at the times to come. And I think that we've misunderstood even Yahweh's uh, concept of laughing. And so it's just, it's just really cool. And so something to point out to is Abraham laughs and in, and really he essentially then prophesies in because Isaac's name means laughter. So there's some, there's some, there's some, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't necessarily have something to release on, but I do find that connection very interesting that last week, um, Abraham laughed. And then this week, Sarah laughed and then Isaac comes and his name means laughter. And what is it that Yahweh is unlocking? So that was a really cool, um, uh, a really, a really cool, um, uh, thing that got pointed out. But what I want to focus on is El Shaddai. And I want to focus on this whole concept of being able to untwist circumcision. So let me actually just start with El Shaddai and then we'll get into circumcision just because I don't actually know how much time I'm going to have before I've got to um, head back home. So um, I want to, I personally have this thing with El Shaddai. So it's just really personal and powerful for me to read the Torah portion where it first gets um, uh, released. But a lot of us know El Shaddai in its natural terms that it actually it comes from uh, a Semitic root of um, uh, Shaddad, which means strong and mighty. So the mighty one or um, you know, God almighty. I mean, we've, we've heard that our whole walk. So El Shaddai has always been the mighty one, but there's more, um, than just him being, uh, you know, God almighty, but, um, there's, there, there, there's, there's a Hebraic side to Shaddai and the Hebrew, uh, root word of Shaddai is Shad which actually means breast. And so this actually is another side of Yahweh that many of us have never been introduced to. Um, we understand that the helper or Ruach is our nurturer, but many of us forget that the father himself has the ability to nurture. He doesn't um, need to have a, a, a well, anyways, this is an aspect of, I, I'm talking about El Elyon. I'm talking about God Almighty. I'm talking about Yahweh. I'm not talking about Ruach. I'm not talking about Yeshua. I'm talking about Yahweh has a name that is set aside 
as a nurturer. And so breast, it actually would then mean that there's this sense that the God who nurses, the God who gives the ability to nurse, uh, breast is, um, is this, this, I, not this idea, but the, the characteristic of Yahweh that would bring you into his chest, into his bosom and actually nurse you and nurture you, um, in that kind of connection. And it reminds me of what Amber brought to the, to our remembrance about breast milk and that level of clinging and dependency and, and, and need and how the milk knows to change based on your level of clinging. As the baby matures, the milk matures. As the baby wants more, the, the milk production increases. Like there's the antibody, if the baby needs an antibody, there's antibodies that are provided just in nursing. And Yahweh has a name that means the God who nurses. <laughs> that is El Shaddai. It's, it's the breast. And so there's this, um, uh, this, this, this nature about him that he not only is the one who nurses, but gives the ability to nurse. And so something that's super powerful, if you notice patterns in the scripture, El Shaddai is actually brought up in context to the birth of children. So the reason why El Shaddai gets brought up in this chapter is because we are dealing with the eternal concept of the promised son coming. So it has to do with generational uh, childbearing and uh, sons to come. And El Shaddai is used often when this concept is, is in the scripture, especially with women who are barren. Many, many, many scriptures. Women who are barren, El Shaddai shows up. And, um, and, and, and then when I say El Shaddai shows up, and you pair that with the next Torah portion about how he appeared, the revelation of the characteristics of who Yahweh is is so personal, not just, well, that's also his name or this idea of, well, it's just written in literature that that's also his name. No, it is a, it's a manifestation of who he is on this earth and in heaven, what he carries. And so when he shows up as El Shaddai, he's showing up in the very thing that's needed in that portion. So today is a portion. T today is, I am in need of a portion. And Yahweh will show up and appear for the need that I have in that portion. <laughs> like he doesn't just say, yeah, and you can call me any one of the 25 names that I have, 72 names that I have. Like you, it's not, it, it is so revelatory and personal that he would show up in the very production of what it is that we need. So Anyways, so, um, so I just, I wanted to, um, I wanted to bring that out to you that to me, when, when I, when I begin to know him as the nurturer or the one who nurses, then I can associate that, that he is the God who makes himself known as the God who gives children. He is the one who gives the promise. He's, he's presenting himself as a generational, uh, uh, Yahweh that says, the promised seed is going to come through an heir. It's a, it's very, it's very family. It's very generational, and you can see that throughout all of the scriptures. And that's why El Shaddai is mentioned. Um, that's why he reveals himself in this. So it's not just, well, I see his name, and that's a, that's a cool name. So he's the mighty one in English. But really understanding, but why? 
why was El Shaddai introduced in this chapter dealing with a household that would be set apart, dealing with the promise of, no, I'm not going to, to take Ishmael. I'm not going to take Eliezer. I'm not going to take, um, uh, uh, like, I'm, I'm not going to take those things because I have a miracle that is going to produce a seed because it's in your seed, right? So there's this, this idea of this generational family nurture that shows up on the scene. And so, um, anyways, super, super powerful, uh, uh, about, about El Shaddai. And then, um, there's some patterns here about Yahweh that I just want to get into. And then I think I'm actually going to stop the box and I'm going to head out and then I will hopefully get back on here about circumcision. But I want us to notice that in the scripture, there is a pattern in this scripture that is super powerful to hold on to. And it's where it says, uh, he starts off the portion with, here's what I'm going to do. Then he says, and here's what you're going to do. And then it says, and then this is what's going to happen. We really see the lateral and vertical collide right here. You know how I've been presenting in every Torah portion that there's this um, one way of looking at things, that it's all Yahweh, and then there's another way of looking at things, that it's all us, like there's all response, but then it's all dependency, like it's all based on Yahweh, but then it's also based on our response and you've got to get the right, you've got to get the right filter because if you mix them up and you say our response is what is first, then you operate out of works or out of earth. Meaning it's very easy to understand that we have to respond, but if you flip it backwards and say our response is what causes then things can get twisted, but it also doesn't mean that our response doesn't cause. And so you've got to have that Hebraic mindset to understand that it is 100% dependent on Yahweh, but also 100% dependent on your response. This chapter actually begins to dissect what we've been talking about in a very practical way. And I'm, I, I do, I am going to get into that because we see in this chapter, uh, individualism, and familyism. So we actually begin to start to put the puzzle pieces together of how does this thing work if it's all based on Yahweh and not based on us, but then at the same time, it's all based on our response, then that means it's not based on Yahweh. How can you have both? Well, in this chapter, we get to see why and how we get to apply this Hebraic mindset into an individual um uh, walk and a family walk and why both matter and how to apply all of that. So again, there's this pattern of Yahweh says, here's what I'm going to do. And then here's what you're going to do. And based off what I'm going to do and based off what you're going to do, this is what's going to happen. And so we see that, but what we see happen ultimately is a family has to be set apart. But the way that it's described in the scripture allows for people to make a decision on whether or not they want to be a part of that response. Basically, what happens in this Torah portion is we begin to see the promise that is set aside for a remnant. This promise is utterly and completely dependent on Yahweh 
who chooses his seed, chooses his family, chooses how he's going to do it, chooses when he's going to do it. He's all knowing, all powerful, completely sovereign. You're a peon, right? All Yahweh. And yet what that means is, is that corporately I have access to a bloodline. Corporately and family-wise, I have Yahweh's goodness to choose that family for me to be a part of. I I don't know if this is going to make sense or not. But it also shows that it's up to me to be a part of that family. So what, 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 I, what I mean to say is, is that Yahweh, it's all him that he chooses that the bloodline of Avraham is where the seed is going to come from. He also says through Avraham, all the nations will be blessed. So if Avraham is your father, you have the generational, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, eternal and temporal blessing is yours. He will safeguard. I guess what I'm saying is regardless of man's decision, he will have his way. And if that's the bloodline he chooses, then that's the bloodline he chooses. And whether people obey or not, he will, he will make a remnant. There will be a remnant that has to come out of Abraham, no matter what they decide, because he will fulfill his promise. He said, through your seed. That means generationally for thousands of years, they have to be obedient in order for the seed to be produced. Meaning he will cause a remnant no matter what, because he said. Now, whether or not an individual chooses to be a part of that remnant or not, we see here in this chapter. So now you can see the filter of it is all dependent on Yahweh. And yet, individually, I have the right and the ability to choose if I want to be a part of that remnant or not. That's where the power of people come into play. And it ultimately takes both. That's why El Shaddai says, here's what I'm going to do. And here's what you're going to do. And we begin to see the inner workings of and what you do matters because it's what will set you apart. At the same time, it's, it's Yahweh that says, here's what I'm going to do. And here's ultimately what I already told you I was going to do back in chapter 12, if, if that makes sense. So it's like, I, I, I hope that I'm getting that point across, but we've been talking about this where it's like, okay, you know, all of these chapters, Cain and Abel, Noah, I think about all these chapters and it's like, God. Yahweh is, is sovereign. He's the one, he's the one who does all this. And yet I also see that those that he chooses are obedient and follow and submit and fall on their face and have conversation with him. Like, it's not just a, we can just do whatever we want. And he just, he's just going to have his way regardless. But at the same time, it's not dependent on Abraham because he also is not perfect, has not been perfect. And, and so it can't be dependent on man either. Well, here we see how this works in the big picture or corporately, Yahweh is going to make it happen with her, basically with or without you. 
Yahweh has the big picture in mind and, and the promise is going to come with or without you. That is why he is sovereign and it is 100% and completely and totally, utterly dependent on Yahweh, not man or else we would fail. At the same time, he honors the individual and he honors um, the, the choice by you choosing to be a part of what it is that he has set aside for his people. So, so and, and the reason why we see this is because we see it in the wording when it comes time to, uh, to circumcision, because you can tell that there's this uh, language that, that a decision had to be made or else you would be cut off from your people. Well, I mean, there's a whole lot in that. What that's showing is, is you were a part of the people. I mean, this gives us so much insight on so many levels because this is also showing us what it looks like to be a foreigner. For those of us that our parents did not obey the commandments, does that mean we're just out of it? We just can't be a part of this? No, because we're seeing in this chapter how this works when you apply yourself to the foreigner in the house. If you so choose to be obedient on this day, <laughs> anyways, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful picture of in the house and foreigner in the house and what that response looks like and what can happen if you choose not to respond that you'll be cut off which actually means you were part right so there's <clears throat> there's this powerful thing about you being able to have the choice to respond but it's out of a response not i have to in order to like you already are but then you have to you you have to respond oh my gosh, I'm kind of like intermixing two different teachings. Anyways, I hope that that, I just want to, I just want to point out that in this chapter, we really begin to see how it is that Yahweh is sovereign. It's totally up to him. And at the same time, it is completely up to us and our response to be able to be a part of his movement or to be a part of who he's chosen. And in this chapter, we see what happens to the foreigner when they choose to be obedient to his commandments. At the same time, the next part of what I want to teach on is what is this commandment? Because uh, it, it's gotten so messed up that we had to have Paul untwist what it became but we can't use paul's words to then twist what it's not either paul had to speak on this because he had to untwist what it became but it doesn't mean that he's trying to get away from the original intent of what it was and what it should be and what it will be and and so when we take paul for face value and just say hey oh i don't have to be circumcised we're misinterpreting what he was speaking to and we're misunderstanding what the original intent was for circumcision and so um and and that is going to make way for everything that i just said on what it looks like to be a foreigner and become part of the house and why we have a choice and what that uh what that response is because it comes from a response because circumcision is a sign not a precursor. So it's the, 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 the biggest takeaway is I want to make sure I'm saying this right. So I wanted to look at my notes. I'm sitting in my car. Circumcision doesn't secure you a place. It's a sign of a place. And the reason for that is because uh, it, he's getting after what happens when you already have faith and then you choose to walk versus I have to walk in order to choose faith. And so Paul had to untwist what it became. And um, anyways, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to get into that, but I just wanted to kind of point out the pattern there where it's, 
here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. But all of this, here's my part. Here's your part here. Covenant here. Then, then will come a promise from us both being obedient to our covenant, but you've got to point back that he had already placed his covenant. So everything Abraham did is a sign of what had already happened, not a, um, a securing of what's to happen. And so uh, when we when we look at it from that way, then you begin to see the beautiful nature of what circumcision was actually doing. And then we'll be able to untwist what it became and what Paul was speaking to. So, um, so anyways, I'll get into the circumcision part after I get home, but I just kind of wanted to lay that foundation. So I hope that that makes sense, that we really see the, the family side of this, and then we see the individual side of this and how all of this works and how this points to the Messiah and our faith now and really what the apostles were talking about in the renewed covenant because they understood some of these foundational things. And so... One of the things that we need to remember is at the time, which I think dad talked about with the history, but, um, you know, historically circumcision was not an Israelite thing. Um, it was very widely known. In fact, Egyptians did it. And so we'll begin to understand some of the scriptures when the prophets talk, talk about get rid of the culture of the Egyptians. And it's because it's actually, I, I think personally, this is very spiritual and, and I hear this spiritually but the Egyptians used to do a one cut circumcision so they they didn't they didn't they didn't do they didn't go all out uh slavery did it halfway and so that so that was a culture that was adopted um you know while the time that they were in uh Egypt so you have to remember that when Yahweh is you know speaking on this Oh, sorry. Um, we ha we have to remember the the cultural aspect of this. So, like, just that alone, right? There's this culture out there. You know, Egypt uh, is doing it halfway, and he says, "Get rid of all the flesh." I mean, that right there is just super powerful for us to understand. Uh, not to mention there was female circumcision. Uh, culturally, circumcision was only when you were an adult. Um, and it was actually a rite of passage into marriage. That is super powerful. That Yahweh, I mean, people are, why circumcision? Why would you do such a thing? Well, I mean, culturally, it's known that a rite of passage for a man to enter into marriage is to have, is to be circumcised. Now, um, th that to me is super powerful. But what Yahweh did was he separated the Israelites by saying babies eight days old. That was not normal. Um, and what, you know, what that's doing is, is he's saying, and you're setting yourself aside um, as a household on how you're going to walk. Because to me, what he's saying is, is covenant can be when you're little, not just a rite of passage into marriage. Uh, and so that was what was separated when this was given to Abraham, uh, it was, that's what was different was everyone in your household, including the babies. And so that part, um, is different from the culture. And so that's, that's just one thing to take note, you know, that circumcision was very, very much a cultural thing. And, um, and then, uh, yeah. 
anyways, and so I just think it's significant that, you know, Yahweh says circumcision, which is the, the whole the circle, I mean, covenant, the whole, the whole thing. Um, you know, it, it makes me think of the symbol, the symbol of a ring. It's never ending. It's a circle, that Hebraic thing versus this line or this linear cut, you know, that, um, you know, j- just get, get rid of part of the flesh or only go, you know, only be thinking linear. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't mean to over-spiritualize it, but I see it very, uh, very Greek, very, um, linear. I, I just, I just, I see that that way. And so, um, so, so that's, that's one aspect or not one aspect, but that's one huge thing to think about, you know, with circumcision. Um, and then, um, and so then the other, uh, aspect to this is why, why circumcision of the genitals, you know, um, Abraham still in this chapter is like, but what about Ishmael? Why can't, why can't you just take Ishmael? And he, Yahweh's basically saying, no. I am not going to do this by man's means. I'm going to do this by my means. And that is why they were so old. He did not want there to be any way anybody could say they did that in and of themselves. Yahweh is saying, I am going to have my way and I call the shots here. (laughs) I want the glory. I'm the one that's doing this. And I'm basically pointing to the fact that the Messiah is going to come by a miracle. If you do not understand my miracle, you will miss Jews. Listen, you will miss that that's the Messiah. Now, the reason why I say Jews listen is because the rabbinical law began to associate circumcision more so with Mount Sinai and laws and instructions than the the father of Abraham. So what happened is, is that Judaism came in and took something and said, the only way you can have faith is if you become a Jew, which is to be circumcised. That is not what was happening in Abraham's time. That is not the father of Hebrew. That's not what was happening. But rabbinical law came in and said, the only way that you can have um, uh Basically, uh, the only way that you can receive Yahweh is to become a Jew, which means you have to become ethnically Jewish, which means you have to be circumcised. That is what Paul is speaking against. That is not what that is not at all what's happening with Abraham right now. And so what's so so what we what we see here is circumcision was attached to a promise that it's going to come about my way, but not by man's way which meant literally, I want you to point, I'm pointing out that the flesh does not have a role in the promised seed. And what better way to release that it's going to be about a seed that's going to come than to, you know, what, circumcise your finger, but to circumcise your penis. I mean, it's literally the genitals that is going to bring about the seed. I am here to remind you that it is going to be about my way and not your way. It will not be by natural procreation. It's not going to be the ways of man, but the ways of, of, of me. And so what it is, is it's actually a promise and a point of circumcision. The circumcision was to set them apart that they were waiting for him to show up to bring a son. <laughs> it was a reminder that a promise is coming. And here is my act of faith that I want to be a part of this promise that I will get rid of the flesh fully 
and receive that the seed is going to come through a promise. And in that, it set them apart. Yahweh still said, I'm going to do it. This seed's coming my way. You will be barren. You will be 99 years old. I'm going to do it my way. It's not going to come through Eleazar. It's not going to come through uh, Ishmael. It's going to come through my seed. He says that. But Avraham had an opportunity to say, to, to listen and to obey. The entire household needs to show a sign that the promise is coming. And that is what sets you apart. Everything about circumcision has everything to do about the Messiah coming and pointing to the Messiah that it will be by a virgin birth. It will be by, or, or maybe they didn't know it was by a virgin birth at the time, but they did know that it was going to be by Yahweh's miracle, not by a, a natural birth. Everything about this is, I believe, therefore, here's my sign. Just like what dad was talking about. Let me be marked because of not i'm not being marked to gain you can't bring the seed anyways only yahweh can bring the seed but you have an opportunity to be a part of a household foreign or born ishmael i mean ishmael came in and brought in a different nation and basically yahweh was saying i do not want this house divided everyone needs to be marked by the sign and so there's this um there's this, uh, there's this opportunity to be able to be marked by the trust that he is going to produce a seed and it won't be by our doing. That's why Paul said, you can't do this. You can't get circumcised in order for something to happen. It already happens. And in your waiting and in your trusting, you are marked by something that says, I will wait and I believe that the promise is coming. That's the difference. That's why Paul says, don't just go and get circumcised. Don't just become a Jew because that's not doing anything for you. But if you believe and if you receive the promise and you're justified and you're righteous prior to and you're walking in that, you have an opportunity to be marked by something that says, and here's my sign. Here's my sign that says, I do trust that this word has come forth and it won't be by my means, but it'll be by his means. And so really circumcision uh, has everything to do with pointing towards a promise that's coming. And, and that was the whole, uh, that was the whole purpose of the whole household being marked. And so anyways, um, I'm kind of cutting off a little bit short, but I wanted to at least release, uh, let's see. Sorry, I wanted to release at least that much to just bring, um, um, you know, I don't know if it's exactly the same or, or a little bit different or what, you know, what uh, dad released, but just wanted to, you know, um, just stir some hunger in, in that, you know, being marked and, and how it's um, a response and a trust that it's not about you, but about him. But it doesn't mean that we neglect that we get to respond and that we should be set apart that because it's, it's a, it's an act of faith. You know how I was saying how um, Abraham had to prove, not, not prove to get righteous, but prove to the world he was righteous. So it's like, okay, I believe in the promise. So here's my mark that I would prove, not to be proved, but to prove. And so anyways, just super, super powerful. And then, you know, um, you know, everything with the household and oh, anyways. So there's a mama's words on last, last week's Torah portion. I'm sure that there's a little bit more, but I will leave it at that.